In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I like to wish you all a very blessed and happy feast of Nativity. May the Lord actually, who was born for our salvation, may He bless us all and give us the, all the blessing of the Incarnation of the Son of God. Tonight, our Bible study from Psalm 35. Psalm 35. Uh, we will only take its 28 verses. We'll only take half of, of the psalm. So let me start by introduction. This psalm is titled A Psalm of David, which means it is written by David the prophet. So, uh, all the fathers of the church, most of the scholars say it is written by David. But some scholars, not many, just a few, assign this psalm to Jeremiah because they see parallel between certain passages in Jeremiah and this psalm. For example, verse 6 in Psalm 35, parallel with Jeremiah 23:12. Verse 12, parallel to Jeremiah 18:20, and so on. But actually, instead of assigning this psalm to Jeremiah, it's safe or safer to say that Jeremiah borrowed the language of the psalm in his book. So Jeremiah quoted the psalm in his book, not the opposite. Also, the military figures that's mentioned in Psalm 35 from verse 1 to 3, there is no parallel of such military figures in the book of Jeremiah. And it wouldn't be natural for Jeremiah to use such figures. So this psalm is written by uh, David the prophet. When it was written? In terms of the occasion, it may be linked to the period of David's life when Saul pursued him, chased him, he wanted to kill him. The whole psalm is a strong supplication to the just God to condemn the enemies, those who persecute his people. This psalm is the appeal to heaven of a heart, a heart depressed by oppression and wickedness. So David is appealing to heaven because his heart was hard depressed between oppression and persecution. And this psalm does not express individual feeling, but also express feeling of a community appealing to God against its oppressors, the little flock, the Christian, who are persecuted. And beyond a doubt, Jesus Christ can be seen here by a spiritual eye. So this psalm also has a prophecy, or uh, as if David here is speaking as a symbol of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
the Lord actually quoted part of verse 19 in this psalm and applied this verse to himself when he said in John chapter 15 verse 25 but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law they hated me without a cause they hated me without a cause it is verse 19 in Psalm 35 Uh, David's cries do not imply that he bore a personal hatred against his oppressors so we should not understand that David hated his persecutors. No, actually, we will see in the psalm how he prayed for them, how he fasted for them, how he was compassionate on them. But what David said represents a prophecy concerning what will dwell upon those who persist to persecute God's people with no repentance. So what David is saying here, just he's announcing, he's proclaiming what will happen to them, what God, what God would do to them, uh, those who oppress God's people with no repentance. Uh, the sun falls into three divisions, uh, and each part ends with thanksgiving. The first part from verse 1 to 10, supplication to the righteous God. A supplication to the righteous God. And ends with thanksgiving. Then from 11 to 16, a description of the sufferings. Description of the sufferings. And then from 17 to 28, intervention of God intervention of God. So, let's start from verse 1. Plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. The word translated plead is actually a judicial term. But the context here, it is a battlefield. It is not a court. It's like in a battlefield, not in a law court. So David simply is asking God to take his portion and maintain his cause against those who oppose him, against those who have raised war against him. because he is not able to defend himself and have none else to defend him or to appear for him. That's why he said, plead my cause, O Lord, with those who strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Many actually adversaries fought against David. And many were the times he prayed, fight against those who fight against me. David rightly prayed this prayer because he generally lived in God's will. And those who fought against him actually 
they were opposing to God. Because David lived according to the will of God, so those who were fighting him as if they were fighting God. This is a petition for help against the persecutors in general. We know that the enemy of all believers is Satan, our adversary. In Psalm 34, we read how God will send angels to encamp around us and keep us safe from our enemies. And when David said, fight against those who fight against me, as St. Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? The enemies of Christ and the enemies of the church many times tried to appear in the to appear that in their persecution they were influenced only by a desire of upholding and keeping the law. So the people who persecuted Christ and people who are persecuting Christians until now, they want to appear or present themselves as if they are just people, righteous people. They keep the law. While they are acting as absolute enemies instead of being impartial, unbiased judges. So they, they were not righteous. They are not righteous. They are not just. They actually absolute enemy to the church of God and to his people. Verse 2. He said, take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for my help. Shield and buckler are defensive weapons. But the question here, does God need shield and buckler to defend David? Definitely not. Because God's defensive weapon, as we read in Isaiah 59:17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his hood. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a claw. So when he said, take hold of shield and buckler, the meaning here, God, be to me as a shield and buckler. So David is saying to God, please God, be to me as a shield and buckler. Uh, As God was to David, God also is to all his people, to us until today. He's our shield and he's our buckler. God gives us the shield of salvation. God the Almighty stands between us and any danger to protect us, like the shield. So God is shielding us under his wings. He's our shield. He builds a hedge around us to keep us safe from any harm. St. John Chrysostom says, 
that there is no one stronger than him who enjoys the heavenly help. There is no one stronger than a person that enjoys the heavenly help. And no one weaker than him who is deprived of heavenly help. No one stronger than him, than the person who enjoys heavenly help. And no one is weaker than him who is deprived of heavenly help. And as David found protection behind God's shield and buckler, he also asked God to keep keep his enemies at a distance with a spear. In verse 3, he said, Also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. So David said to God, You are my shield, you are my buckler, Draw a spear and push them away. Stop them, those who are pursuing me. They want to kill me. And say to my soul, I am your salvation. Stop them that they might not overtake me. As if David saying to God, please put so many obstacles before them that they will not be able to come near. God can prevent, actually, and sometimes he prevents according to his will, prevent persecutors from overtaking his people according to his will. Before the enemy come closer to us, God can push them off as if with a long spear, pushing them away. So, Wonderful reflection for a faithful soul to feel God stands there armed for me. God is armed for me with a shield, buckler, and spear to protect me. And to hear God saying to me, I am your salvation. I am your salvation. So, besides hindering the enemies, the Lord also can calm the mind of his servant by prompt definite assurance from his own mouth that he is and shall be safe under his wing. So God not only pushing our enemies, but assuring us by his mouth, I am your salvation. When I hear these words from the mouth of God, I am your salvation. I have peace in my heart. I I will not be shaken. I know he is and he will be my salvation. As we, we saw in the Gospels, one word from the Lord calmed down all our fears. And the whole plan of salvation, I am your salvation, is arranged with a view to give such an assurance and to give a pledge to the soul that God will save. As we say, he is my power, my my salvation. (coughs) Death loses its terror if God's my salvation. The redeemed man moves on calmly, for he has nothing now to fear. God's my salvation. I am not afraid, and death cannot terrify me 
anymore. Verse 4. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. So David tells us what is to happen to those against whom God takes up arms. Those who are persecuting David when God stands to defend David because he is our salvation, what will happen to these people? As David said, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. So David asked God not only to protect him, but also to vindicate him. There is nothing malicious here and when David asks God to vindicate him. He simply desires and longs for justice. And the petition is natural and justifiable. He is asking God to let them see so clearly that God is on his side. That they will be covered with confusion for having opposed David who was so entirely protected and cared for by the divine power. So he wants them to know that God is defending him. God is on his side. When they stood against him, but God actually will bring them to shame, to dishonor, to confusion. And according to church fathers, the psalmist petition, not against outer enemies, human being, but against inner enemies, Satan, and also against our sins and our lusts. So when he said, let those be put to shame, he means the devil, the demons, sin, lust. Let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and be brought to confusion who plot my hurt. Sincere of Alexandria applied this verse to the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Having delivered Jesus into Pilate's hand, they brought perdition upon themselves. So the Jews, after delivered Jesus to Pilate's hands, they delivered perdition upon themselves. For the Roman enemy, destroyed them by the sword, 70 AD, and burned their land by fire. Even the holy temple most revered by them. So, as David said, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life, this is what happened to the Jews after they delivered the Lord Jesus Christ to Pontius Pilate. Verse 5. Let them be like chaff, before the wind and let the angel of the Lord chase them. David wanted it to be seen and known that he really did serve and obey God 
and that those who opposed David were made like chaff before the wind. Chaff is the type of whatever is light, vain, worthless, and it will be scattered by the wind. Chaff driven before the wind represent the chaotic defeat of a beaten army flying without any resistance before an enemy. So, you know, when the wind scatters the chaff without any resistance, it's scattered. So in the same way, he wants his enemies to actually be defeated, flying without any resistance uh, to, to because of the strength of God who is defending David. But St. Augustine said about the wind and a chaff, he said the wind is temptation. The dust or the chaff are the ungodly. So when temptation comes, the dust is raised. It neither stands nor resists. Then he said the angel of the Lord, let the angel of the Lord chase them. The angel of the Lord to protect the righteous. As we read in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and deliver them. This angel is called on to complete the humiliation of the wicked ones who are David's enemies. Angels are often represented in the scripture as agent employed by God bringing punishment on wicked people. There are many references how God used angel to bring punishment on wicked people. Verse 6, Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. So let their way by which they will flee being chased, be dark and slippery. Why dark and slippery? So they do not know where they, where they are because it's dark. And also they will stumble because it's slippery. So they don't know where to flee or how to stand. It's slippery. They cannot neither discern the right path nor be able to stand in it and much less to escape, especially from so swift a chaser as an angel. So if an angel is chasing them, they are in a dark place, they don't know where they are, slippery place, they cannot stand. St. Augustine says, In a dark and a slippery way, how shalt thou go? Where set foot? These two ills, dark and slippery, are the great punishments of men. Darkness, ignorance, a slippery way, luxury. So for for St. Augustine, darkness means ignorance. Slippery way means luxury, love of pleasure and love of money. St. Augustine continues and says, these things he predicted would come upon them come upon the wicked, not as though he wished them to happen. 
So San Augustine saying it's just a prophecy, not David wishing this to happen to them. Although the prophet and the spirit of God so speaks these things, even as God does the same with sure judgment, with a judgment good, righteous, holy, tranquil, not moved with wrath, not with bitter jealousy, not with desire of wreaking enmities, but of punishing wickedness with righteousness, nevertheless, it's a prophecy. So, Augustine want to say, when David said, let their way be dark and slippery, let them be like a chaff before the wind, etc. He is not praying that this, this might happen to them, but he is announcing a prophecy. The Holy Spirit speaking on the mouth of David what will happen to them. It is just a prophecy. David ultimately asked God that they should not only be scattered and compelled to fly, but that they should be permanently hurried on to to destruction. So, completely be destroyed. Uh, So, from verse 1 to 6, that we just finished, the prophet spoke on the persecutions in general, how they persecuted him, and he was asking God to fight for him. But now, starting from verse 7, he will detail three sorts of persecution. And these three sorts of persecution are generally inflicted on the righteous and the people of God. The first, harassment by deception and conspiracy. Second, false witness, as we read in verse 11. Third, by open force, not limited to mere words. So these are the three sorts of persecution. Harassment, deception, conspiracy, false witnesses, and pain, physical pain. Not only words, but physical pain. Uh, So from verse 7, he starts about the first sort of persecution, which is conspiracy, harassment. He said in verse 7, For without cause, they have hidden their net for me. You can see the conspiracy see. Without cause, without me doing anything. They have hidden their net for me in a pet, which they have dug without cause for my life. So they made a pet, then they put net in it, so they can catch him, conspiracy. Uh, and he made it very clear that this was done without any error or fault from his side. They have been constantly laying snares for him. And this is what Satan is doing for us. And for emphasis, David twice asked God to note that his enemies came against him without cause. 
He said it twice, without cause. For without cause, they have, net, they have hidden their net for me in a pit, which they have dug without cause again for my life. Uh, the custom of digging pits, so they used to dug to dig a pit and put nets into into the pit to catch wild animals, and they cover the 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 pit with straw or dust. That's how they were catching wild animals. So David, thinking about his enemies, how they conspire to catch him. So verse 8, he said, Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly. His enemies saying about David, Let destruction come upon him unexpectedly. And let his net that he has hidden catch himself. Into the very destruction let him fall. Sorry. David is saying, As you want to catch me, let destruction come upon them. Uh, so David is praying that God turn those snares to their own destruction, to the destruction of the enemies that conspired against David. David prayed that the guilty one who would truly be caught in his own trap. And this happens different times. People make trap for others and they actually fell in the same trap. God's providence often bring about such conspiracy to be of more harm to the person who made the conspiracy than the other. As we read in Proverbs 26, 27, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. Again, whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and he who rolls a stone will have it roll back on him. Let me give you an example from the Bible. Haman made a cross to crucify Mordechai, and on the same cross that Haman made, actually, for Mordechai, Haman was crucified. Another example. The devil set the cross to destroy the kingdom of Christ. But the kingdom of Satan was destroyed by the cross. And we can pray on the same principle against our spiritual adversaries the principalities and power that battle against us in the spiritual realm, that the snares that the demons are digging for us, they may fall into the same snares. Definitely, devil has snares and has plans and devices set against us. Verse 9, as I told you, each part is concluded by thanksgiving. You can see here how suddenly he switched into thanksgiving. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. 
it shall rejoice in his salvation. A sudden transition from afflicted prayer, he was afflicted, persecuted, into thanksgiving. Uh, after David turned away his opponent to God, and God is his salvation, now he found complete joy and comfort in God. And in that joy, his spirit delights. The joy here is not the joy in the destruction of the enemies, but it is the joy that God delivered him. When I go and pray, when I'm persecuted, and I find God delivers me, this actually brings joy to my heart. Our own deliverance from the hand of our enemies may involve, unfortunately, the necessity of their heart. But what we rejoice in is not their destruction, is not their fall, but our own deliverance. And for this, it can never be improper to give thanks to God because he delivered us. So our victory is not in the destruction of others, but our victory is in God's salvation that's given to us. Again, our victory is not in the destruction of others, but our victory in God's salvation given to us. Verse 10, All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him. So David is saying, as if my mouth is not enough to give you thanksgiving. All my bones say, Lord, who is like you? You deliver the poor from the person who is too strong for him. You deliver the poor and the needy from the person who plunders them. So, as the tongue was not enough to bless God, David saying that everything within him praises the Lord who delivered him from his enemies. The Lord cares for those who are weaker, like the poor, like the needy. He said, all my bones shall say, like Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. This signifying the perfect joy that fills up the entire man, as if my bones are rejoicing in the Lord. He said, Lord, who is like you? Who is like you in your perfection, in the perfection of your nature? Who is like you in your salvation and how you deliver your people? There is none like you, none like your wisdom, none like your holiness, power, grace, mercy, knowledge, wisdom, counsel. St. Augustine says, O body of Christ, holy church, let all thy bones say, Lord, who is like you? And if the flesh under persecution has fallen away, so if under persecution my flesh has fallen away and all what I have bones, 
St. Augustine says, Let the bonds says, Lord, who is like you? For the righteous, for of the righteous it is said, the Lord keeps all their bones and not one of them shall be broken. So why David said, my bones praise the Lord? Because the Lord keeps their bones of the righteous and not one of them shall be broken. Verse 11, I told you there are three types of persecution. First type, conspiracy. Second type, false witness. That's verse 11. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. So the prophet now comes to the second sort of persecutions through which the wicked, by means of false witnesses, openly persecute the just and gives a highly contradictory story of the wickedness of such witness. They accuse them of things they don't know. False unrighteous witnesses rose against the Lord Jesus Christ. They brought false witnesses to bring false accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ. And also they brought false witness against his apostles. And and very frequently until now, there are people who bear false witness against the Christian and against the people of God. And David says, false, fierce witness rise up. Rise up means voluntarily, without being asked. They did not wait to be called. They volunteered accusing him of things that David did not know. Verse 12, They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. So David remembered the dishonor of his enemies who returned evil instead of good, and this actually caused sorrow to his soul. But if we take this verse about the Lord Jesus Christ, fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things that I do not know. So if we take the verse, they ask me, they ask Jesus, things that I do not know. St. Augustine made a comment on this verse and said, But let us say to our head, Lord, what did you not know? Is it truly that Jesus did not know? Did you indeed know not anything? Did you know? Did you not know the hearts of them that charged you? Did you not foresee their deceits? Did you not give yourself into their hands knowingly? Had you not come that you might suffer by them? What then knew, knew you not? And the answer, he knew not sin, and thereby he knew not sin, not by judging, but not by committing. So for St. Augustine, fierce witness rise up, they ask me things 
I do not know. They ask me about sins that I don't know. Sins that I never committed. Sins because the Lord Jesus Christ is sinless. He He separate from the sinners. Uh, definitely anyone to be misunderstood or to be a target of false accusation, this will cause great sorrow, as David said, to the sorrow of my soul in verse 12. Verse 13, see how David dealt with his enemies. He said, but as for me, when they my enemies were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. Means he fasted, he humbled himself for the enemies. I humbled myself with fasting, and my prayer would return to my own heart. That's why David felt so hurt, because they had done this evil to him, although he was too loyal for them. David here is a symbol of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, presented his love to mankind, but he was rewarded by hatred. Jesus came to heal our wounds, but his hands and feet were nailed and his side was pierced. Jesus came to give us his life and they killed him on the cross. Jesus came to honor us, but they crucified him. David, in verse uh, 13, he described some of the good that he did for his enemies. He neither repaid evil for evil, nor even he thought of revenge, but he committed himself in great humility to pray to God. He fasted, he put on sackcloth. David had acted uh, with King Saul like this. King Saul, he wanted to kill him when King Saul was tormented with evil spirit and was afflicted with terrible illness. David humbled himself before God for King Saul. David also showed remarkable love and concern for all when they were sick, making their problems, their illness, as if his own, caring for them as though they were his friends or brothers. My clothing was sackcloth, meaning David was grieved, mourned for them, it's being usual to put on sackcloth in time of mourning. Sackcloth and fasting are the wings of prayer. That's why he said, I put sackcloth, I humbled myself with fasting. If you remember uh, King of Nineveh, he, when Jonah told them God would destroy the city, he prayed and fasted and put on sackcloth. Then he said in verse 13, my prayer would return to my heart. What does this mean? What does it mean my prayer would return to my own heart? It means 
his prayer was answered. He had no doubt that his prayer did not produce the desired effect. Prayer put up in such humility with fasting and sackcloth will not come back in vain, but will return back to his heart with consolation, heavenly consolation. Also, my prayer would return to my own heart mean it's continuous prayer without ceasing. So I pray, prayer return to my heart, and then I pray again. It's a continuous prayer. Also, uh, although they repaid his good with evil, but his prayer uh, were not unrewarded. God rewarded his prayer. Maybe also prayer returned to my heart. David meant, uh, I denoted the posture like head bowed down or I was praying in secret. Verse 14, see how he perceived his enemies. He said, I passed about as though he were my friend or brother. So as if his enemies, my friend or my brother, I passed about as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother. So in his affliction, David not only abstained from doing evil for evil, but he even did good for evil. He felt toward his enemies as if they are his friends, or brother, or even a child who mourns for his mother, bowed down heavily as one who mourns for his mother, as a child mourns for his mother. And we saw this in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ was Judas. He called him friend when Judas came to betray him. And who not only ate with him, but was one of the 12 disciples, and he entrusted him to give him the bag of money. Christ also wept over Jerusalem and had tender concern for Jerusalem and sympathy for the Jews. The Jews, his cruel enemies, he wept over them and prayed for them. Verse 15. But instead, see how David dealt with his enemies? Let us see how his enemies dealt with David. But in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered together. Attackers gathered against me. And I did not know it. They tore at me and did not cease. So now David tells us how his persecutors did evil for good. And at the same time, passes on to the third sort of persecution. Number one, conspiracy. Number two, false witness. Number three, physical pain. So now actually it's going to the third uh, sort of Uh, sort of persecution. Attackers, they attacked him physically, gathered against me, and I did not know it. They tore at me. They tore at me. They tore my body. So, for the wicked, 
they were not content by harassing and conspiracy. They were not content by deceits and lies. They were not content by false witnesses. But they sought to injure him by doing personal harm. David was grieving for their troubles, but they were rejoicing at his adversity. They found a common joy at his, in his troubles, and therefore they gathered together to keep the celebration. When David in adversity, they celebrated together. Attackers gathered against me, and I did not know it. The attack from David's enemies were worse because they were hidden from David and came upon him as a surprise. So he did not know. Suddenly, as a surprise, he found him attacked by his enemies. What the psalmist proclaimed also is a prophecy about Jesus Christ, as we read in John 1:11. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They tore at me and did not cease. Tore can be they tore his character or his reputation by harsh saying and accusing words, or they tore physically his body, like the Lord Jesus Christ, or his flesh and strikes. They did this to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose enemies tore his flesh by beating and scourging him, piercing his hands, piercing his feet with nails. They crucified him, and they did not cease. Even after his death, they pierced his side with a spear. They tore me and did not cease. Verse 16. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. With ungodly mockers at feasts, they gnashed at me with their teeth. So David continued to narrate the hatred of his enemies. What they could not affect by the pain of personal energy, injury, and so they, they personally harmed him, but they sought to affect by unpleasant language, mockery, insult. And the, the image here, they spoke fiercely and violently against him like dogs that roar and show their teeth. When he said, they gnashed at me with their teeth, like dogs that roar and show their teeth. This is a, a, a gesture of rage, as though they would devour him. So we'll stop here at verse 16, uh, because from verse 17, Another part, the intervention of God to uh, deliver David. Uh, Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.